so much. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Psalm chapter number 10. Psalm chapter number 10. I'm going to read just the one verse with you in Psalm chapter 10 this morning, but then we're going to turn in the introduction of the message several other passages, and so I want to keep ask you to keep your Bibles open, and if you if you don't happen to have a Bible with you, maybe uh, someone on the road could share their Bible with you, or if you have two between you and your family, pass one down to a neighbor there next to you. I'd love for you to see these scriptures or use our Bibles a little more than we would normally do so uh, in, a, in a message, but I'd like for you to follow with me, and perhaps you'll want to circle some of these verses. Psalm chapter number 10, please stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. Psalm chapter 10, verse number 1. Read this verse, just this single verse, with me aloud, please. Psalm 10, verse 1, together, please. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Why? Why? Uh, just yesterday, uh, I, I got a call <clears throat> and returned the call. And uh, a gentleman whose loved one was taken off a ventilator. And as of yesterday, some hours afterward, was still living. I haven't heard this morning the outcome. Of course, Friday, just a week ago, Miss Bonnie uh, Camby went to be with the Lord. And she's enjoying heaven now. Uh, just this morning, just a few minutes ago, one of the men asked me to pray for a buddy of his. Just lost a two-month-old. And he'll leave here today to go to a funeral service for another and also to be with his family. Lost a two-month-old. A lot of things happen in life we don't understand, do we? The psalmist here opens this psalm with the question, why? Why? I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, when why is not a sin. When why is not a sin. Heavenly Father, I need your wisdom. I need your power. Lord, I would not want anyone to interpret this message as an explanation for their adversity as though we have some set of answers that we can just staple that to their problem and that will take care of everything. Lord, there will always be unanswered questions in this human existence. Perhaps in heaven you won't reveal all the whys. But I pray that somehow, some way, by faith, we can come to a place where when we don't have the why it will be enough to know that there is a why. And that an all-knowing, loving, all-wise God knows why. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. We have a staff meeting 
uh, each week with, uh, with the church staff. And, of course, some of those folks are double duty. They serve at the school as well as at the church. And so, uh, let's see, I guess about uh, one, two, three, four, five, six of us, seven of us, I think, something like that. Either six or seven or 25, I can't remember which, but anyway, uh, seven, seven or eight of us. We'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about the business at hand. We'll do some planning and so forth like that, and then and then at the end I'll uh, take questions, individual questions. Sometimes those are questions that could be asked in front of others. It's just business matters, but a lot of times they're questions maybe that are sensitive uh, to a particular area, and uh, and so we'll we'll meet individually and and uh, and help that leader in their respective areas. And uh, over the years, it's uh, it's. Uh, um, been a blessing to me as a leader, as a pastor, and as the bishop, it would be the biblical title as overseer, in overseeing the work when a, a staff member lingers behind and asks me a question, why, why? The tone not being one of, of questioning authority, but of, of desiring to understand. A question has been posed, you know, Pastor, uh, you know, I understand what you, you said that you want us to do, what, what we're going to do. Um, can you help me understand that? Can you help me understand why it's important for us to do that? Now, that's a good why question. Amen? That's, that's, a, that's, the, that's the correct way to ask the word why. Amen? Why is not in and of itself a sin. I'm sure today of these heartaches that just in the last few hours have come to my attention, I'm sure there's some whys mingled in with those that are in the midst of that adversity, in the midst of that suffering. That does, that does not necessarily mean that why is, is a sinful why. I think a why can be a sin. But I believe there is the right way to ask the question why and it not be a sin. In our text here in Psalm chapter number 10, the psalmist opens with a why. And he, he says, God, you know, why are you distant from me? Why standest thou afar off? Why, O oh Lord, do you, why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Now, I do want to say this. He's talking to God even though God seems a million miles away. That in itself is an expression of faith. But as you read this, you find in beginning of verse number 2, all the way down through verse number 11, I, I, I wrote next to him in the column, I, I was just making personal notes myself, I put next to verse 1 the question, and verses 2 through 11 is the case. He makes this case. He's God, why are you so far away? Why aren't you here right now? Where are you? Why aren't you with me? And in verse 2 through 11, he makes this case. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices they've imagined. The wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. Verse 4. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Verse 5. His ways are always grievous. Verse 6. He said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. Verse 7. His mouth is full of cursing, a deceit, and fraud. 
Verse 8, he's lurking in the shadows. Verse 9, he lieth in wait. Verse 10, he croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong was ready to pounce on God's people. Verse 11, he said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He's building his case. He said, why are you far from me when all this wickedness is going on? And then he makes his challenge. Verse 12, arise, O Lord. O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. (laughs) Wait a minute. I question the tone of that verse. He just spent ten verses saying, God, how come you're not doing something about this and 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 the wicked are prospering and their evil is going unabated. Now you need to get up and you need to do something. I don't think that's the right kind of why. We go over to chapter 22. The psalmist cries out. And again, this is a obviously had a, an immediate application. We also know this to be prophetic and had a future implication that the very words of Christ are recorded here. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring. Here's a man in anguish. And yes, this is prophetic. And yes, Jesus would cry these words from the cross of Calvary. But it is not, it does not negate the fact that there's a real man who by the name of David is going through adversity and he too from his heart says, God, why do I need to go through this? Why, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so waiting so long to come and help me? We find in chapter 42 of the Psalms. Verse number 9. I will say unto my God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. In the next chapter, 43, in verse number 2, he says, For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? We know the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross and asked the question, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me. He who knew no sin became sin for us. It was the sinless Lamb of God that hung on the cross of Calvary. His why was not a sinful why. I remember many years ago, 1997, as we sat there in the little waiting area outside the pediatric intensive care unit at Brenner's Children's Hospital, Baptist Hospital, Winston-Salem. And for a little over three weeks, our oldest daughter hung between life and death after open heart surgery. They did not close her up just because they couldn't get her heart to beat back properly. And she had the same machine that saved Brother Kilby's life over here. Uh, She was on that in the early days. And at that time was on it longer than anyone had been. And and take the blood out of her body, oxygenate it, put it back in her body. She had pacemakers, more than one. She had tubes, feeding tubes, drainage tubes, all kinds of probes all over her body. And 
they didn't close her up because her heart wouldn't beat back on its own after the surgery. Nine children died in those weeks while we were there in that intensive care with, with Abigail. I remember being in the in the waiting room and there's a couple, there was a family there. I, I don't remember the injury. What there was one child that had been injured in a in a horse accident. I don't remember why this particular family, their child was in the intensive care, but I remember saying this as we talked a little bit back and forth. And I said, Well, I said, you know, it sure is good to know that God makes no mistakes. And as soon as I made that statement, that dad retorted, well, I think she made a big one this time, implicating God, demeaning God, questioning God's wisdom. When is why a sin and not a sin? Let me answer it for you this morning. A why is not a sin when it is accepting rather than accusatory. A why is not a sin when it is accepting rather than accusatory. The same Jesus who hung on the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is the same God incarnate, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, who hours before had prayed with such intensity that the capillaries in his brow literally burst, mingling blood with sweat, so that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, as he cried, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, why was not an accusatory why? Why are you doing this to me? Why would you let this happen to me? But it was an accepting why. Is it possible? Is it possible? Is there another way? Not my will, but thine be done. Sixteen times in the book of Job, we find the word why. Turn to Job 1 with me, please. Turn to Job chapter 1. Again, I do not, in giving you these illustrations, I do not pretend to know and understand anyone's motives. I can only read and make the best judgment I can make. I would suggest to you that Job's whys began as accepting whys rather than accusatory. And I based that on his response to his wife who wanted him to curse God and die. 
Job had lost his ten children, and of course his wife lost their ten children in one single day. He was a fantastically wealthy man. His business, he was the greatest man in the East. He was a God-fearing man. He, he loved God. He, he sacrificed daily on behalf of his family. Satan himself said, I can't touch Job because you put a hedge of protection. Job literally prayed a hedge of divine protection around his family. He loved God. He feared God. He walked with God. But it was too much for his wife, and she broke down. She accused God of being unjust. She cursed God. She wanted her husband to do the same. She comes in chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 2 of Job. He's covered with sores. His health is broken. His children are gone. All of his financial, he's in complete financial ruin. He sits in an ash heap, scraping his sores. In verse number 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. This is the same Job whose initial response to unspeakable grief and anguish is found in verse number 21 of chapter 1. Right at the end of chapter 1, Job says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all this. Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He made no accusations against the goodness of God, the wisdom of God, the sovereignty of God. It is one thing to ask God why in an accusatory tone. How could you do this? How could you let this happen? It's another thing in accepting God's will, His wisdom, His power, His might, His sovereignty, His love. God, why must it be this way? Can I say this, my dear friend? God doesn't deserve to be accused. And it is not healthy in your grief, in your adversity. It is not healthy for you to to blame anyone. It's not healthy for you to blame yourself. How many of us could spend the rest of our life going back and reviewing and replaying a tragedy, a a mishap, a, a, a circumstance? If I had just not gone here, if I had just done this, if I had just said this, if I had only done this first, if I had not, I wasn't planning to. I don't know why I changed my mind and I went that direction. If I, You can spend the rest of your life. Oh, listen, don't, you don't need to blame anyone. If you're going through adversity, sorrow, tragedy, you need not blame medical staff. You need not blame a driver. You not, need not blame a bad friend, yourself, your spouse, your parents, your children, and certainly not your God. Yes, we all need to take responsibility for ourselves. I'm not suggesting otherwise. And yes, we need to hold ourselves accountable, be held accountable, and hold others accountable for their actions. And I'm not suggesting otherwise. But when fallen humans fail at justice, God... God should not be accused. God should not be blamed. God did not do this to you. Several years ago, my dear friend, 
former fellow student as we train for ministry together. Brother Jesse Dominguez stood here on this platform and shared the heartbreaking story of the loss of his lovely 16-year-old daughter. It would be near impossible under the circumstances of her death for loved ones not to want to blame what seemed so apparently to be negligence. But that dear man stood and by the grace of God gave testimony to the fact that God makes no mistakes. And though that does not recuse someone of their or does not does not negate someone's responsibility. Look, you don't need to blame someone in order to heal. The truth is, when you begin to blame others and sort through and sift it out and try to make sense of sometimes things that cannot be made sense of, you linger in that pain instead of allowing God to do His work of grace and bring healing to your soul. We read those fascinating words in Job. In all this, Job sinned not with his mouth, nor charged God foolishly. He would not blame God. He said to his wife, why shouldn't it be us? Should we receive good and not evil? He would go on to say later, he said, I look here on my right and left and, and everywhere and I don't see God, but he knows where I am. He knows the way that I take in when I am tried. I shall come forth as gold. But by the time we get to chapter 38 of Job, God is thundering out questions. Let me suggest why. Because from chapter 3 or 4, whichever one, to chapter 38, Job and his so-called friends who would have done well to keep their mouths shut in the first place, seven days they sat silent, just with their with Job, not saying anything, just grieving with him. Then they opened their mouth. And for all those chapters, they try to sort it out. And here's the thing. Now listen carefully. And Job fell into it. They came with their, accus- their accusations. They all accused Job. Said, Job, you're the problem. You're just not right with God. It summarized the whole thing. And what did Job do? He engaged in that conversation for all those chapters. Back and forth, back and forth. It's an exhausting read from chapter 3, 4, all the way to chapter 38. As human minds try to make sense of something that only God knows and understands. And I believe Job's initial response, which is humility and submission to the providence of God, by the time we get to chapter 38, he is well deserving of a tongue lashing from heaven. And he gets it, doesn't he? From thence... He humbles himself, and God blesses him twice as much as he did in the beginning. Amen. Amen. But Job fell into it. Can I tell you something? It, it is it is it's pretty difficult. Sometimes people foolishly, sometimes I think people unintentionally really say some foolish things when folks are grieving and folks are hurting. Really foolish things. 
Believe it or not, I heard, heard this. And I think it's well-intentioned. And please, I don't think there's anybody in the room. But someone, when you lose a child and someone walks up to you and says, Hey, I know what you're going through. We lost a pet we had for 11 years last week. I love, I'm sorry you lost your pet, but you have no idea what losing a child is like. Right? I'm not bitter about that. But that's just foolishness. As though we somehow got to find an explanation. Let me tell you something. This bunch of stuff we won't know till we get to heaven. And may I say, we don't know for sure if God will even explain it to us when we get there. I love the thought of it. We sing about it. We'll understand it better by and by. We'll understand a lot better by and by. But let me tell you something. If God chooses in eternity never to explain Himself to us, guess what? He's still good. He's still all-wise. He's still all-knowing. He's still God. And, he ought, and we ought to let Him be God. Amen? He knows what He's doing. When why is not a sin? When it is accepting rather than accusatory. Number two, when it is out of anguish rather than anger. When it is out of anguish rather than anger. I believe that anguish is a natural human reaction to tragedy and adversity. God made us to grieve. God made us to hurt. Put put your feelings away. I'm going to say something. And I'm not trying to be your medical doctor. But at least three times... In, the, in our loss, a doctor came with a prescription in hand and to give to my wife. I said, you're going to need this. You're going through a lot. I'm not... Put your feelings away. But three times, she said, Doctor, I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate your concern, but God's Spirit is comforting me and helping me. Thank you, but no thank you. Yes, anguish will bring, I believe, a natural human reaction to question. How can this be good? Why? Why do we need to go through this? David asked that. Why? Why? Why are you so distant from me? I, I can't seem to find you when the, the wicked are living it up. Things are going great for them. I believe that is completely different than an emotional display of anger that suggests somehow that God has done us wrong. That's Job's wife. Curse God and die! Curse God and die! Do I think in the anguish of soul? Job said... Why didn't I just die when I was born? Why couldn't I have been stillborn? Why didn't they just carry me from my mother's womb to the grave? Why? Why couldn't it have been that way? Those are early in the book of Job. And I would defend Job and his wives just as I would defend our Savior on the cross. Why? But a why that comes from a heart of anguish is not the same thing as a why that comes in a fit of anger. Number three, 
When why is not a sin? When it's accepting rather than accusatory. When it's out of anguish rather than anger. Number three, when we are trusting God rather than tempting God. When we are trusting God rather than tempting God. There is a why that is an expression of trust. Father, I I know you know what's best for me. I just don't understand why this is best for me. Why does it need to be this way? Is there not another way I could learn these lessons? I believe in that sense. Why? Is an expression of trust. It is knowing that... It is, it is a desire to know the why, to know the reason, if you will, to know the purpose. But acknowledging as well that I don't know the purpose, but may I say, just because I don't know the purpose doesn't mean there's not a purpose. Just because I don't know the reason doesn't mean there's not a reason. And the very fact that we would, we would pose the question to our God, the very fact that we would ask that question of the Lord is an acknowledgement that He does know why. We're asking him whether he chooses to share the answer or not is his prerogative. What I do know is this, that his ways, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, are above our ways, his thoughts above our thoughts, and past finding out God's ways, God's thoughts, God's purposes are beyond human comprehension. In Proverbs, excuse me, Romans eleven thirty three, he said, Oh, the depths... Of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, His decisions, His verdicts. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Listen, it should be accepted by all of us as God's people that it would be impossible for you and I to understand the ways of God because His ways would have to submit themselves to the capacity of the human mind. And my brain is a P in relation to an infinite universe as, as compared to my thoughts and God's thoughts. His ways are above our ways, past finding out. They're beyond human comprehension. This all-wise God truly knows what is best for me. Amen. Why is not a sin when it is a directed to a God whom we believe has a purpose and knows what's best and does what's best? But it is tempting God. Again, when it becomes accusatory. We tempt God Why would you do this to me? Why would you let this happen to me? Such questions are expressions of rebellion against God and His sovereign plan for our lives. I cannot tell you why you suffer. I know the Bible gives us some reasons why. One of those reasons is chastening. Hebrews chapter 12, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. Chastening is spanking. How many of you ever had your loving Heavenly Father spank you? 
The Bible says, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Neither faint when thou art rebuked of him. Hey, hey, look up here. Listen, sit. Half the crowd went. If I correct one of my children for their own good, for their safety, for the preservation of their future, I do that out of love. In the same way my heavenly Father chastens me, rebukes me, corrects me. Now wait a minute. At our house, it's been a long time. I wish one of my girls would do something bad. I ain't got to spank them in forever, it seems like. <laughs> Two things wrong, parents. If you enjoy spanking your kids, there's something wrong. If you won't spank your kids, there's something wrong. Anyway, so. But, but back in the day when they used to do wrong, now they're just little angels. Uh, anyway, but we would never fight them. We would never wrestle with our, with our kids. Once it's time to take your licks, you take your licks. If you're big enough to do wrong, you're big enough to take your licks. I'm going to wrestle with one hand and swing with the other hand, put somebody's back out of joint or something. No. You will stand there and you will submit. We're not doing this in anger. We're not doing this because we're mad. We're doing this because we love you. You did wrong. You knew the consequences. Now it's time to accept the consequences. Now, let me tell you something. When a kid fusses and fights, mom and dad, and I would encourage your parents, maybe you still have small children at home and, and so forth like that, and, and, and some of your kids are brats, and, and I'm just kidding. You didn't laugh very hard. Uh, but I would encourage your parents, don't wrestle with them. Don't wrestle with them. You don't need... If, and by the way, better for you not to discipline than to discipline with your dander up. If you've got to go walk around the block... Go buy a milkshake and drink it or something. Calm yourself down and you go in there composed, lovingly. Now that's where God, God doesn't discipline us in anger. He does it because He loves us. It's an act of love. But I would say, listen, don't, don't, don't rest, don't have a, a, a fighting match. You'll do more harm than good. God's chastening is an expression of His love. So to, in anger... Or, or in anger to say, why, why, why are you doing this to me? That, that, is, that is tempting God. That is, that's daring God. How dare you treat me this way? My dear friend, you, you're on thin ice with an all-powerful, all-knowing God. That's not real smart. I don't know why adversity comes, but I know there's a such thing as purging. John 15, 1. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Any branch that beareth not fruit, the Bible says, he purgeth it. Pardon me, let me read it to you. My memory's fading here. I'm the true vine, and my father's the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Why? that it may bring forth more fruit. Sometimes, you planted, we plant some fruit trees. And uh, we've got, we got uh, some apple trees now, and peach trees, 
and two plum trees. And so uh, come back in about eight years and maybe you can have an apple. Uh, But anyway, but to make a tree fruitful, it has to be purged. It has to be pruned, right? Dead branches have to be taken away. You say, why am I going through this adversity? Maybe God is trying to make you more fruitful. I don't know why God allows these things or why God, but I know sometimes God purges us. Sometimes God chastens us. Sometimes God tests us. Exodus 16, 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them, test them, whether they will walk in my law or no. God said this, and he sent manna from heaven. That's the bread from heaven he's talking about. And he told the people, he said, you can take all, uh, 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 all the bread's there, and every day you go out. He said, but on the Sabbath day, that's the day dedicated to me. He said, I don't want you to go out and get it. He said, the day before, get what you need for today and get what you need for tomorrow. And that's the only day. You know what some folks did? They went out and they gathered up, they gathered up, they gathered up, gathered up, got more than they needed. Guess what happened? It turned to worms, the Bible said. They woke up the next morning, that tent stank. Woo! Why? God said, I just want to test you. I'm going to give you something. Take what you need. On that Friday, then you take enough for the next day. I want to just see if you can obey that simple command. Same thing in Judges 2, 21 to 22. God said he proved his nation by not driving out some of their enemies. When my why is a question mark on God's love, a question mark on God's wisdom, a question mark on God's divine purpose, a question mark on God's chastening, a question mark on God's care for me, I am tempting God. And my why is a sin. Lastly, When is my why not a sin? When it is accepting rather than accusatory. When it is out of anguish rather than anger. When it is expression of trust rather than of tempting God. And lastly, when we are expressing self-examination rather than self-pity. It is not a sin when we are expressing Self-examination rather than self-pity. That goes back to my original illustration. A staff member lingers behind and says, Pastor, you you want us to do this. As a minister, we're going to do this. Help me understand why that's important. I, 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 I greatly, any leader, any leader, and by the way, parents, you should value this. Little children, because I'm your mama, that's why. 15, 16, 17, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It's time for you to start explaining why you make those decisions, why those things are important. Those kids are half adults by that time. Now, their brain part's not, but they're, anyway, they're, sorry, kids. But anyway, they're on their way to adulthood. They need, I don't want my kids just to do what I tell them to do. I want them to know why they should do it so they can choose to do it for themselves. And kids, when you say, well, I don't understand why my parents, which is exactly the reason why you ought to obey them, because you don't understand. And when you get to the place you do understand, you'll look back and say, oh, yeah, that's why mama's, that's why daddy. So until you understand, you need to obey. Amen? Parent, that behooves us to not just tell them what to do, teach them and train them and help them to understand so that they can make those decisions on their own in their life. A why that is the why 
of self-pity is sinful. Why me? Proverbs 15, verse 13. By sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. I remember some years ago meditating on that verse. It said, sorrow of the heart. And then the spirit seemed to touch my heart and said, your own heart. In other words, a person's spirit is broken when they entertain sorrow of their own heart. In other words, here's the way we say it. Feeling sorry for yourself. When we start feeling sorry for ourselves, then our spirit tanks, our attitude tanks, our attitude becomes uh, no longer Christ-honoring. Self-pity. But a good question. God, why did you let this into my life? What are you trying to do in my life? What are you trying to teach me? A man, not long ago in my office, was just poured out his soul, was just going through great adversity. And I asked him a question. He's trying to figure out how to pray about the situation. I'm trying to help him. And he said, I believe I'm going to do this. What do you think, Pastor? And, and his choice would have maybe, from a human perspective, brought some relief to his adversity. But I asked him, I said, consider something. I said, since you have been going through this adversity, not of your choosing, how are you doing spiritually? He said, well, you, Pastor, you know, I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my life. I said, okay. I said, then I wonder if you should be entertaining ideas of how to escape this adversity. I said, have you ever thought about maybe you need this in your life? And he stopped in his tracks. He looked at me and said, it's exactly what I need. I think I can give this illustration without betraying anybody's confidence. But I remember quite a few years ago now, a married individual who had a very difficult marriage. Their partner was what the world would call alcoholic, what God calls a drunkard. And it created much grief and much sorrow. It brought stress to the marriage. It brought stress to the family as a whole, the child. Many, many times we would pray with that family and the individual that was the partner that was trying to do right. And, you know, I tell you, it's a tough place as a pastor because sometimes folks come to you and, and, and it's just complete injustice. It's not right. It's not fair. One party. We all can do something better in our marriage. There's no question about that. But it's just so very clear and obvious that one party is being is doing wrong to the other party. It's just 
terrible injustice is being done. And the person who's suffering the injustice is looking for a legitimate way to get some relief. Except if you're a Bible believer, there is no way. Not in this particular instant. There was no biblical foundation for walking away. That dear person was faithful to the Lord, faithful to the Word, faithful to live for Christ, faithful uh, uh, as a witness for Christ, faithful in serving the Lord. But it came to a point where they felt like, I can't take any more. And they initiated the ending of that relationship. I believe in an unbiblical manner. And almost immediately, that person who has struggled, struggled, struggled through injustice and stayed close to the Lord and stayed faithful to church and stayed separated from the world and, and, and stayed in love with the word, world, with the word of God, almost immediately began drifting. I'm not their judge, but I know if you're faithful to church or not. If I'm your pastor, <laughs> it doesn't take a it doesn't take a, a, a rocket scientist to see that someone has changed their behavior, their demeanor, their deportment, their dress. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. That's not a judgment call. That's plain sight. And I'm not this individual's judge, but I have thought more than one time, meditated on that situation and others just like it, and thought to myself. Maybe God knew that's exactly what that person needed to keep them close to him. A why question of self-examination is one of the healthiest questions you could ever ask God. God, obviously I need this in my life. Let me not miss why. I want to know why. Why? What are you trying to purge? What are you trying to do in my life? God, I want to, I want your perfect will fulfilled in my life. Now that is the right kind of why. Would you bow your heads, please?